You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded in Chicago at the Clio Cloud Conference, which has returned to the beautiful Radisson Blue Aqua Hotel. We're here to cover this event for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have several people uh, cutting across a couple of the tracks at the Clio Cloud Conference. I'm going to go ahead and introduce them off to my left. I'm going to start with uh, Peter uh, Karianis. Did I get it right? Absolutely right. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent. And then I have fellow podcaster David Sparks is also joining us. Present and accounted for. Excellent. Excellent. And then sitting next to him, we have uh, Chantel Argyle. Hello. Thank you for having me. And then, of course, uh, we have Think Pink Lot, uh, Julie Tolick, uh, sitting next to her. So welcome to the show, everybody. Before we get started, I thought it'd be a good idea for, for people that are less familiar uh, on our audience uh, just to tell us a little bit about yourself, so like where you work and what you do. And since we started with Peter, we'll start back with you. Uh, where do you work? What do you do? Thank you very much. Uh, well, I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I'm the president and founder of a law firm called Conduit Law. We're a business law firm, and we focus on embedding in-house counsel as on-demand lawyers with our clients. Excellent. And David? I'm an attorney from Southern California. I'm a sole practitioner. I represent a lot of small to medium-sized companies. And Well, tell us about your podcast. Well, I'm also a nerd, and I have a podcast called Mac Power Users and a website called Mac Sparky, so I'm a geek in addition to being an attorney. Can we give a shout-out to your co-host? Oh, of course. Katie Floyd is also an attorney, is is on my podcast with me. Excellent. And all right, Chantel. Hello, I'm executive director and co-founder of Open Legal Services, which is a nonprofit law firm serving people who do not qualify for pro bono services but cannot afford a traditional fee. Excellent. All right. And Julie. Hi, my name is Julie Tolek. I am founder and attorney, solo attorney of Think Pink Law. I practice family law, family law mediation, some estate planning, and firearms compliance law in Boston. All right. (laughs) Okay, that's... uh those two areas of law go well together, I guess? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> no. The estate planning and the guns go well together, yes. Okay, perfect. Well, I brought you down because you're each, uh, well, there's two groups here presenting at two different uh, educational tracks at Clio. So Clio right now has three educational tracks. Of course, they have their Clio University, which helps people use the Clio platform better. But uh, I think we're going to turn the microphones over to you guys. So David, Peter, and Chantel, you were presenting at an event called the Customer Panel Innovation in the Practice of Law. So can I get a volunteer to give me the 50,000-foot synopsis of that? Essentially, it was looking at ways that firms are implementing things like technology to do law in a different way than it's been done before and finding better ways to serve clients. Okay. Okay. And what were some of the topics that you talked about? We covered a lot of different technologies, uh, not only just Clio, but some of the other technologies. Uh, Peter made some really good points about using um, Slack uh, within his network or his firm to keep track of cases. I talked about a service called SaneBox to help manage email. And we also talked about some of our own particular practices in terms of billings and ways we're trying to change the way we practice law. Okay. And Peter? Well, we talked about all those things indeed, and we also discussed the cloud-based application, the way Clio is able to support us with uh, that cloud-based solution. Uh, you know, in the case of Conduit Law, we talk about embedding our in-house counsel on an on-demand basis. Well, one of the ways that we're able to facilitate that and accelerate that is to give this cloud solution. It works really well for us. Well, so there's a lot of participants at the Clio Cloud Conference and people are attending your session. And so what, what do you think were some of the best lessons taught today during your presentation? I thought one of the most surprising things was we come from very different practices. We uh, 
you know, I'm kind of small to medium-sized business. Peter is Fortune 500. Chantelle's got a nonprofit. And, but we found that we almost all are using some of the more innovative techniques that we've all kind of come across on our own. Uh, billing um, uh, innovations and some of the other stuff we talked about uh, was, was shocking to me how much we all had in common. Okay. Chantelle? Yeah, it was it was shocking to me too because the thing that I think attorneys have in common universally is that we're problem solvers for our clients. But when it comes to problem solving for our business models, that's not something that we're traditionally known for being particularly good at. And so I think the three of us happen to basically see problems throughout our practice and we find ways to solve those problems and it has made us better at what we do and that's why people look to us as an example. Okay, and Peter, some of the lessons. And to that point, you know, we really do experience a lot of the same problems regardless of the discipline that we practice in. So it's interesting to see the versatility of Clio on that. And the other part that I was really fascinated with this year, and I was here last year as well, it's a fantastic conference, is the constellation of supporting players around Clio that interact and interface with it. So by way of an example, we use Lexicata and LawPay. Those are two players that we met last year at the conference and we're able to incorporate them into how we use Clio today. That's really powerful because it allows us to be flexible and adaptable and modular. So every practice is going to be a little bit different. Regionally, we're going to be different. Our clients are going to be different. The ability to bolt on different solutions for different clients or different law firms is pretty pretty impressive. Well, I have one more question for you all. And so uh, your top three, I'd like to leave the audience with some uh, innovational platforms that they ought to be checking out to run their practices more uh, more effectively. So if you don't mind, could you give me your three favorite uh, innovational platforms that you use in your law practice or you think should be used in your law practice? Well, I, I talked about a couple already. I think that the Slack and the SaneBox are really excellent additions if you're having trouble dealing with email or communications within your network. I would say those two are very useful. Those two? Okay. Yeah. I would echo the comments on Slack. I think Slack is a, a really powerful tool, a great team management and team communication tool. But for streamlining the process of getting clients in with proper agreements in place, Lexicata is probably my uh, number one choice. Okay. Chantel? You know, uh, I talked a little bit about Facebook and as a marketing tool, how effective and how extremely detailed the, the data is and the analytics that you can pull down to, to measure your performance of your advertising. And Facebook, I think, is an excellent tool for the average solo and small firm to get clients with minimal commitment as far as finance goes. Okay. We're going to turn the microphone over to Julie, who's been patiently waiting. She's also very hungry. She uh, <laughs> forwent lunch to be on our uh, podcast, and I would I'd feel guilty if I didn't mention that Peter also did the same thing. So uh, we're turning the microphone to her. She presented at an event called Creating a Lasting Digital Brand, something that she's an expert in, and she joins us today to talk about that. So uh, give us the 50,000 foot, Julie. So basically, uh, I have three Ps that I go by, and those are not pink. Pink is not in them. Pink is mine only, so four Ps are mine. But the three Ps that you guys can use or that other attorneys can use are passion, personality, and persuasion. And the whole point is that without passion and without having some kind of emotional connection to people and using your personality to make those human connections, you're not going to be able to persuade people to do business with you. And that doesn't have to be, you know, persuasion is thought of sometimes as a negative thing, but persuasion is anybody, you know, trying to con- to, to make anybody do something for you or with you, whether that's, you know, and it's, it can be a good thing. And in this case, to be able to connect to people by appealing to their emotions and their passions and using your personality to do that is going to create lasting relationships and lasting brands and lasting experiences. 
Okay. And, you know, I, I think you're, uh, when you graduated and when you entered law, like Chantel, you guys entered the uh, profession at a difficult time economically. Um, and so now you've been able to to carve out a brand for your services and you've gone into areas of law that I think are very interesting. I think family law and, and gun law is very, very interesting. Um, and so some of the tools that you have used to create your brand, I mean, you wear your brand. I wear my brand. That kind of happened by itself. I mean, I started wearing, a, you know, here and there a little bit, but then People would see me in pink and they'd say, oh, you're that pink lawyer. Great. Okay. So, but the next time if I wasn't wearing pink, they would get very upset and very offended <laughs> and take it almost personally that I wasn't wearing pink. And I thought, oh, for better or worse, the brand has a life of its own. And, and now uh, you have a dress code. And now I have a dress code. My brand dictates what I wear. Okay. But, which uh, is great. Which is, yeah, because you like pink, right? I like pink. Okay. Yes. Is, now, well, like I, green or something would not do for me because I don't like it. It's not your favorite color. No. Okay. So as far as uh, creating that lasting digital brand, because it's one thing to wear your brand, but there's also getting the information out there. I mean, what platforms are you using to brand yourself? I mean, I use a lot of the typical social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, probably the most. Um, I'm blogging on my website um, and on my previous blog, LegallyBlondeBoss.com, which is a blog I started while I was in law school, and that was actually the inspiration for my brand. I don't blog as often as I should, but I do. How often are you blogging? Oh, my God. Do as I say, don't do as I do. Um, not often enough. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. If people go, they'll see how old my posts are. Um, I haven't posted anything in a, in a month or two. I got gotcha. you. Well, all Try right. Try to stay up with it. You should blog more often. Yes. But, uh, what else, but, when you're, but when you're building a brand and you know, you're obviously practicing in certain areas, what topics should you be blogging about? Now, like, what are you looking for? Are you trying to create you know, a perception, a public perception of expertise. So you're, you're uh, blogging about the areas of law you practice in. Is it more of a personal thing so your clients get to know you better? What do you, what do you blog about? For me personally, it's a personal thing. Um, You know, since my passion is putting personality into your brand and and into the practice of law, you know, everything is, I feel like a lot of the practice of law is not, uh, it's cold and it's not human and it's kind of disconnected from, um, a comfort that we find with talking to other human beings and it's become kind of robotic. And so a lot of my blogging has to do with, you know, how I interact with clients to make them feel more comfortable, to make them feel like, you know, not intimidated, that they're just talking to another person. So I I do a lot of blogging about that. I do a lot of blogging about branding. You know, those are my things. I want to start blogging more about firearms law because there are not a lot of firearms blogs, like for, for like firearms law blogs, especially in Massachusetts. There's a couple. But um, I do want to get more into the substantive law. But up until this point, I do blog more about the practice and the branding and the marketing and the relationship building, business building of law. Okay. Well, David, I mean, obviously you've created a, uh, a brand too with the Mac Power users and you're out there using social media pretty prolifically. So uh, what are some of your uh, reactions to what Julius just said? That's great advice. I- I've always felt like, and, and I'm a little bit different market for that side of my life. I'm hitting a general public rather than uh, legal clients. But I-, I really think you're not going to, you know, the mistake people make with social media is they think they're going to set up an account on Twitter or Facebook and the business is just going to show up. The thing is, you have to be willing to sacrifice and give things away. Um, like with my um, my Max Sparky, the stuff I do, I sell books, but I, I put a book on the market once or twice a year. But if you read my website every day, there or every at least few days, there's good content there, and you build loyalty with people. So uh, from a lawyer's perspective, I think hitting the blog posts 
you know, putting stuff out there that people get value from is the way to turn social media into something where you become relevant. Um, we were joking before we started today, uh, a lawyer at a recent meeting I was at was bragging how he had 4,000 Twitter followers, and I looked him up, and he's following 6,000 people. So all he's getting is those automatic replies. That is not success. That just means you're part of a big fire hose of noise for people. You want to be a trusted advisor or mm -hmm. someone that people look to. And the only way to do that is hard work. You got to put stuff out yeah. there and you got to be willing to do it for free, you know. The magic word of this conference as I'm coming to find out is return on investment. So we've uh, been mentioning this routinely in all the different interviews we're making. I think this particular panel is very good at commenting on this. So my next question, I'd like to close out with this one because I'd like to give takeaways to our listening audience. And uh, so what I wanted to ask you, social media, building your brand, uh, being out there in the public eye as far as uh, you know your social media interaction. How much time do you recommend that people put into this per week? Peter, let's start with you. Each individual lawyer is going to have to figure out what the timing is, but it must be consistent, it must be constant, and it must be regular. You can't go to a website and see old content that hasn't been updated in a month. It looks like no one's home. Uh, so people have to make a decision as to how much time they are willing to invest on it and then be diligent about it. Uh, we're on Twitter every day uh, consistently throughout the day. Uh, we also have a bit of a blog presence. We do newsletters, things like that. But we only do that which we can consistently deliver over time. And if I could add just one other thing sure. in terms of giving things away that David was mentioning, you also have to have a point of view. And lawyers, uh, we're, we are often very concerned about sanitizing uh, our information or sanitizing our posts and our tweets so that there's no possible way anything could be possibly misinterpreted. Listen, I'm not going out there and saying that anybody should put any defamatory comments out in social media. That's not the case. But social media is not drafting a contract. Social media is about articulating a message and it's about having a point of view. And you've got to be able to have a point of view. So I'm hearing consistency and clarity. How about you, David? I, I would just agree with Peter. I think uh, I've talked about social media enough, but Peter's made some excellent points. You really need to stick to a schedule. Okay. Chantel, any insights? Yeah, I think that you can do a very minimal amount of effort on it if you do it smart. And one thing I love, I, I had dinner with Kevin O'Keefe, who you know posts really thoughtful and interesting things on Twitter all the time, and that's sort of his whole deal. But what he's really doing is reading things that he finds interesting in his own time and then retweeting or posting links to things that he enjoyed reading. So it's a minimal amount of time for the actual process of sharing, but the readership of, that he's doing on his own, that's his own time. So you can do a teeny tiny amount of work, but if you're thoughtful and careful about it, it actually doesn't add up to a lot of time out of your day. And I know Julie's always got something to say, so why don't she close this out? Well, now I feel like super guilty because I said I haven't posted in a while. So again, do as I say, don't do as I do. But uh, I agree with all of those sentiments. When people ask me, I say they should be consistent and there should be a schedule. And you know, there are ways to do minimal amounts of work and still uh, be able to maintain that. But I also think, I mean, I've heard people say that they'll post uh, a, a blog post from you know months ago, but it's such a quality post and it's so relevant to you know, it doesn't get old. It does. It's relevant to everything that people still do today, and, and, and it'll, people go back to it a lot of the time. So maybe that's what I need to do. I need to post some groundbreaking blog post that I won't be embarrassed if it's the only thing that's been up for a month. There you go. Well, I just want to do one last thing, and that's to uh, give out your contact information if I can. So if our listeners wanted to reach out, ask you some questions about what you presented at Clio, uh, reach out to what they heard on, uh, on today's podcast, how can they get a hold of you? Peter, let's start with you. 
well, our website is conduitlaw.com. My email address is pc at conduitlaw.com. And our Twitter handle is at conduit underscore law. And David? Uh, my law side is sparksesq.com, and you can get a hold of me through there. My geek side is maxsparky.com, and my Twitter is at maxsparky. Excellent. Excellent. Chantel? So I think the easiest way is just go to my website, which is openlegalservices.org, and submit a form on our, on our contact form submission. I screen them all because I'm a control freak, so I will see it. <laughs> okay. And Julie? My website is thinkpinklaw.com. My email address is julie at thinkpinklaw.com. You can find me on Twitter at thinkpinklaw. All right, fantastic. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti signing off from Chicago. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.